Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. The week four game preview as your 0-3 Indianapolis Colts head down to South Beach to take on the 1-2 and Miami Dolphins. 1 o'clock game, CBS. And we get to see our old friend, Jacoby Brissett under center. And Jason, I kid you not, when we knew he was going to leave the entire offseason, we knew, basically, we knew from the point in time where we signed Phillip Rivers two years ago that no matter what happened last year with Jacoby, there would be no 2021 with Jacoby. But once he signed with a team that I knew would be on our 2021 schedule, being the Miami Dolphins, before we even got the schedule... I just had a gut feeling that we were going to see this guy start the game where we played them, especially knowing that it's Miami and Tua has a medical history of injuries from his days at Alabama. I just felt like, okay, last year he got benched a few times for Fitzpatrick. Injuries piled up at Alabama. I feel like we're going to see this guy. Schedule comes out week four. Here we are, one month into the season. Jacoby's been starting since last week and basically played the entire game. Week two, we get to see him starting in this matchup. So it's Carson Wentz. It's two sprains with a double sprained ankle taking on JB, Jacoby Brissett, a two-year starter in Indianapolis. He started in 2017. He started again in 2019. He was a captain in 2019. He had the new contract. Last year, he actually played a pretty big role for this team on fourth and short, third and inches, and situations like that. And now we get to go down to Miami. We see him this week. Should be an interesting matchup between two teams that have not gotten off to the best starts, and that's putting it very nicely. And it's two similar teams where the offense for both teams has struggled. The defense has given up points, but both defenses force a lot of turnovers and they do make plays. So they have playmakers, but they haven't really exactly shut out the opponent. So it's a pretty interesting, similar matchup that we got here week four. And we get to see our old friend, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, and a lot of people that listen to this show are going to be shocked by what I'm about to say because I'm a huge Jacoby fan as a person. He's a great guy, great teammate. Nothing but love for him as as a human being, but as far as quarterbacking goes, he's average at best, and I'm being nice. But I will say this. The Colts actually miss him a ton. We stink, and I can't emphasize that word stink enough, in short yardage situations. And the one thing Jacoby was great at for us was short yardage situations. So we do miss him. Okay. I'm not saying I wanted him resigned or anything like crazy like that, but we do miss him in the short yardage game. As far as a full game though, we know what to expect with Jacoby. He holds the ball. If you can get pressure on him, he will get antsy. He'll make bad throws. He'll be inaccurate. He won't, he doesn't take risks. So this is a good matchup for our defense because this is not a guy who's going to throw guys open, who's going to make a lot of spectacular plays. There is no Derrick Henry in this offense. There's no DK Metcalf. There's no Tyler Lockett. There's no Russell Wilson. There's no Matt Stafford. There's no Sean McVay. I can go down the list. So my point is if the defense is going to show something, this is the week. Their offensive line, the Dolphins' offensive line is not very good. You know, they don't run particularly well, although Gaskins does have 
a 5.7 yards per carry, but that's in a short amount. I think that's in 27. He's only had 27 carries, I think, so through three games. But this is the team. If we're going to get well, if this season is going to turn around at all, the Colts have to win this game. That's the bottom line. They have to win. The Dolphins average 15 points per game on offense. We'll get into that in a second. But my point is, if you can't score 20 points in one game, in four games, because we're on game four. We haven't scored 20 in any of them as far as offensively. We did score 24 in one game, but remember, seven of those were special teams. If the offense can't put up 20 points this week, we're not winning the game. That's as simple as it gets. I would have to agree, and this is a week where, and I was talking to people about this on Twitter, and we probably mentioned it on previous podcasts on the post-game shows. Obviously, when you're going up against the Rams, who, in my opinion, are going to be a, probably a 32-point-per-game team this year, which is about where the Chiefs have been the last couple of years, they're going to have one of the highest-scoring offenses in the league, and they've been around that figure, I want to say, with Goff. So now you upgrade with Matthew Stafford, they should be around that number this year. So we actually held them about five, six points below where I think they're going to be this year at average. The Seahawks, same thing. They're weird. They're kind of flighty. There's going to be weeks where they're awful, but there's going to be weeks where they score 40 points and we held them to mid twenties, I think 28 points. And after a terrible first half, we played good in the second half. And then last week you're going up against Derrick Henry. Who's an absolute monster. Tannehill's good. He has legs. He got away from certain things where we should be able to get Jacoby to the ground because he holds the ball and because he's obviously not as mobile or athletic as Ryan Tannehill. So we should do a better job this week there in terms of containing the quarterback in comparison to week one and at least week three. You have a little bit more of a Stafford-type build and mobility this week, but Stafford's able to get the ball off quick and Jacoby obviously is not, and we know all about that in Indianapolis. So it's funny, Jason, because you bring up where we miss Jacoby. We miss him there. We also might miss him that final drive. I mean, he probably doesn't do anything, but Easton comes in the game. Reich has him throwing to the boundary where Ramsey is. If you ask Jacoby to do that, he probably also throws a pick and just throws up a bad ball because it was just a tough spot to come into. But at least you would have like a guy, like if they're going to bench Easton now for Hunley, I'd much rather bench Easton for because before this season, I thought maybe we have upside with Eason if he beats out Jacoby and we bring him back. Now you view it as, well, if we're going to bench Eason, i kind of rather have the guy who got off to a 5-2 and two start in Indianapolis and has proven to be able to win a couple games in a Frank Reich offense. But that's kind of beside the point. As far as defensively, like you were talking about, and I was just talking about, those first three weeks, you're playing three great offenses. Now you're playing an offense that comes into this game 30th in the National Football League. They score 17 points week one with Tua. They score zero points week two in the game Tua started, left in the first series. In comes Jacoby Brissett. They get shut out against the Bills. And then last week, they score 28 points, which is good, but I think they had a couple defensive touchdowns in there, and they were definitely causing a lot of turnovers on the defensive side of the ball leading to that because at one point they were up 14-0, I want to say, and Jacoby was like two for three with 13 yards passing or something ridiculous like that. I actually have a screenshot because I sent it to my buddy who's a Dolphins fan and it was 14 zip and then it had Jacoby's stat line. I sent it to him and I was like, Jacoby doing big things early in this one, just joking around with him. But we gave the defense the benefit of the doubt weeks one through three in terms of points per game saying that it's not as bad as it looks in the box score. If you give up 
25 plus points as we did the first three weeks to this Dolphins team with Jacoby, unless it's multiple pick sixes or scooping scores or block punts or something of that nature, it's going to be a problem. There's no benefit of the doubt for the defense if you don't make maybe two or three takeaways in this game and you don't hold this team to under 20 points. Under, I would say, probably 17 points is ideal in this matchup. And if you hold them to 17, the offense better be able to score 20 points, especially because they'll have good field positioning on a couple of series, I would assume, because I expect our defense not only to hold the Dolphins under 17 points, but to create a turnover or two, to get in the backfield, to force a fumble. We all know Jacoby is prone to fumbling the football. So those are just a couple of things we're looking for in this matchup because there's no benefit of the doubt for the defense. The defense has to show up. The defense has to ball. And I know they're going to be down some guys. We're not going to get into the specifics of the injuries, but just go on the Colts' Twitter page, look at the injury report, go on Colts.com. Obviously, a lot of injuries heading into this game. And the back-to-back, Wednesday, Thursday, DNP did not practice. You can't feel great about that going into Friday. So assuming those guys don't play, at least a few of those guys don't play, we're going to be down some starters on defense. That's not an excuse Hopefully it doesn't become a factor, but you're going up against a Jacoby Brissett-led offense. We miss him on fourth and inches. We don't miss him the rest of the time. So this defense better show up. They better ball out in week four. We've seen the turnovers. We've seen the plays. We've seen big plays. We have to see them take that next step and basically suffocate a bad offense because that's what this Dolphins team is. They're a bad offense. They enter this week 30th in points per game. They're led by quarterback Jacoby Brissett in week four. And let's start off, Jason. Colts defense, Dolphins offense, that should be a mismatch in the Colts' favor. Yeah, I mean, the trigger man is Jacoby Brissett, so that's good for the Colts. He holds the ball. You know how, I mean, Colts fans know. He holds the ball forever, and he doesn't throw guys open, which is great for us. Um, They do have some playmakers. Miles Gaskin has started to come into his own 5.7 yards for carry. They've got... Mike Isecki out of Penn State, who's a threat. Only 13 catches so far this year, but he's definitely a threat in their offense. First-round pick wide receiver Jalen Waddell out of Alabama has led the team in catches. He's got 22 with one touchdown. Um, Not a lot of big plays for him yet, and I don't expect them to make a lot of big plays with him or really any of the receivers with Jacoby back there because he just doesn't push the ball down the field. Another wide receiver, Devontae Parker, solid, great hands, 13 catches, 165 yards through three games. And then a guy that may or may not play, we don't know yet, but he's a Colts killer, wide receiver, Will Fuller, every time he plays us, he kills us. I'm not sure if he's going to play, but if he does, that's somebody you have to account for in this secondary. And for the Colts, just to go over what I what I believe, I think they will be without Kari Willis. So I think you're going to see Andrew, Andrew Sandejo start there for him or George Odom, but I think it'll be Sandejo. I think that Rocky Asen will be out, and I think you'll see Isaiah Rogers start for him. Quiddy Pay will be out, and you'll see Taekwon start for him. I think that's it on defense, but that's three starters. You're down. None of those guys have practiced. Taekwon has played well, so I think he'll fill in decently for Quiddy. I think he's got the highest PFF grade for whatever that's worth as far as our D-line goes. But, you know, he's filled in admirably, played well last week, I thought. And so I think we'll be okay with the D-line, but I am concerned about the, the corner and safety positions, especially considering all of the miscommunications that we've had. But again, 
if it was anybody else, like if it was one of the first three quarterbacks we played, I would be much, much more concerned. If there was a week to play a quarterback like Jacoby, it's this week with the injuries that we have. I don't think it's an excuse. We should still be able to find a way to win this game. And our defense should be, you know, be able to hold this team, you know, to whatever they average, which is 15 points. So that, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I'm expecting to play a lot better this week, you know, and, and, you know, as far as the Dolphins O-line goes, it's not very good. They've allowed 10 sacks through three games. You know, obviously, Tua getting hurt is kind of an indictment on that offensive line. They don't turn the ball over that much. They have four turnovers. But I think some of that can be credited to Jacoby because he doesn't take any risks. That's one thing we know about him. If he's going to turn the ball over, it's going to be a fumble. He usually does not push the ball down the field or throw it in the windows. He just will not – if there's not a guy open by five yards, he won't throw the ball. So our corners just have to stay within the same zip code of these receivers, and he will not throw the ball. He'll hold it. And once we get there, Luke, the one thing about Jacoby is he will throw – he's like Ben, Big Ben in this way. He will throw guys off of him and, and run. So you got to be able to tackle him. He's big. He's strong. When they get in there and he starts to run, they've got to get him on the ground. That's that's probably Jacoby's best asset as a quarterback is being able to kind of extend plays, not necessarily through his athletic ability, but through his strength and his size. So the Colts absolutely have to do a good job of getting him on the ground. But aside from that, man, I mean, this is the week. we got to find a way to get it done. Absolutely. And as far as the defense goes, going up against a quarterback that you've seen so many times in practice, and obviously you've also seen him play and start a bunch of games for you, Flu should know him inside and out. And being the fact that he's not a great quarterback to begin with, it should be even easier to be able to stop Jacoby Brissett and this Dolphins offense, which again is 30th in points per game. So everybody's been able to stop him. We kind of pride ourselves on our defense. Not that it's been great this year. It's been average, but Coming into the year, for sure, we've prided ourselves. And over the last couple of years, we've prided ourselves. So, Flus knows him well. These keys to the game should obviously help in that regard. Key number one, stop the run. Don't let him get the run game going. Make them throw the football. Make Jacoby beat you with his arm. Key number one, stop the run. Yeah, and we know this as Colt fans. When, when Jacoby was actually successful with us, it's because of Marlon Mack in the running game. And it allowed him to open things up a little bit on offense. Not too much, but enough to, you know, keep the defense honest. The Colts, I thought, did a pretty damn good job against Derrick Henry last week. Not great, but I thought they were well enough to win. 28 carries, 112 yards. Obviously, they're not going against him this week. They're going against Miles Gaskin, who's a solid running back, but by no means Derrick Henry. So the first thing you got to do to make the Dolphins one-dimensional and make Jacoby beat you is stop the run. If you can stop the run, you get him in second and long, third and long. That puts the ball in Jacoby's hands. That's not where they want the ball. That's where we want the ball. We want it in his hands so we can get pressure on him and make plays. And that all starts with stopping the run. And I think the Dolphins are definitely going to try to establish the run to set up their passing game. So stopping the run, key number one for this defense. Key number two, pressure Jacoby. We talked about the fumbles. 15 fumbles in 30 starts in Indianapolis. He averaged a fumble every other game. Put pressure on him, make him turn over the football by getting in the backfield and making him nervous because he doesn't take risks throwing the football. But if you get back there, he is prone to fumbling the football. And that was always something we had to talk about on this show that not a lot of people brought up. People would always say, well, at least he doesn't turn over the football as a game manager. Oh, no, he turns over the football. He just doesn't throw interceptions. Put pressure on him, and he is prone to turning over the football by putting it on the turf. Key number two, 
pressure Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, and I think Flus knows this, obviously, having played against him and seen him up close in practice for a couple of years. No question. You got to pressure this guy. We saw it. I remember the Denver game a couple of years ago. We pulled it out in the end, but they were on his ass all day long. He held on to the ball. I forget how many sacks he took, but he fumbled the ball. I mean, you just you, you have to get on him. So if we can't get it with four, I expect Flus to bring some heat, whether that's Kenny off the spot or if that's, you know, a safety or whatever. He he's gonna want to pressure Jacoby to make him make quick decisions because he's not good at it. He does not make quick decisions. He doesn't make quick reads. So if you can pressure him, he's gonna hold the ball. The key for us is as Colt fans and as Colt players and whatever, when you get there, you gotta get him on the ground. That's the biggest thing. He's his like I said, I mentioned earlier his biggest asset is his size. He's not easy to get on the ground. If you gotta hold his leg like a chihuahua and hold him there for three other guys to get there, then you got to do it. I think that's, you know, always a huge thing. He was never good against pressure when he was in Indianapolis. You just got to stay on him for 60 minutes. And if you do, he's likely to fumble the ball. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. So well, I, certainly, Jason, I gave the Colt stat, which is 15 fumbles in 30 starts. If you right. go to take it a step further, the two starts in New England and the one start in Miami, he has – 19 fumbles in 33 starts, which is an even worse ratio. No question. And, you know, like we said, he's not going to throw a lot of picks because he doesn't take risks. That's that's was always my biggest issue with him. He would never take any risks. He misses open receivers down the seam. And like I said, if there's not a huge window for him to throw the ball, he won't throw it. So he'll hold it. And so we, we get there. The first thing you got to do is get him on the ground. And if you're if you're in the midst of tackling, hey, punch the punch at the ball. He will put it on the ground. That could definitely help our defense. He's prone to doing that. But it all starts with you know we're going through these keys. It kind of all they all they all flow together. You stop the run. You put it in Jacoby's hands. You pressure Jacoby. You know he's going to hold the ball. He's apt to fumble the ball. That can change the game. So yes. We harp on these things all the time, but especially this week, when you get to the quarterback, you have got to get him on the ground. And with this guy, while you're getting him on the ground, you can always swipe at the ball because there's a chance he's going to fumble it. So definitely a great stat, Luke. It's something to look out for in this game, something we saw as Colt fans, and uh, hopefully we'll see it again this week. Yep, and key number three, make them kick field goals. This has been a key in the past in a game like this. Scoring is going to be at a premium, so it's going to be one of those kind of games where – You hope they don't drive on you the way the Rams drive on you. Like the Rams have an 85-yard drive and you hold them to three. That's great defense. Against a team like Miami, you're really not going to want them to drive on you, period. But when they do, don't let them get in the end zone. Because on the flip side, we've struggled to score touchdowns offensively against average defenses, I would say. Now you have a defense in Miami that causes a lot of turnovers. We're on the road. Points are going to be at a premium in this game. I expect a lower scoring game. So it's going to be imperative to hold them out of the end zone. Key number three, make them kick field goals. Yeah, we really haven't done this this year, and we have to do it in this game. This offense is nowhere near as talented as the three other offenses that we face. There's no excuses. They've got to get it done. Get them off the field. Third and long, get them off the field. Fourth down, get them off the field. The Colts just have got to make sure they take care of business when they have them in third and long, get them off the field. When they make the drives down the field, hold them to three. Three with this offense is not going to beat you unless you give up like eight field goals. But I don't think that's going to happen. So obviously keeping them out of the end zone is huge in this game. 
because like you said, we can't score in the red zone. So this game could be an all field goal game. Who knows? But as far as I'm concerned, like this is the thing. The Colts just have got – if they're going to go up yards, that's fine, but you've got to keep them out of the end zone. They've been good at this in the past. They've stunk at it this year. So they've got to get it, you know, get it back on on track this week with with the guys they have and find a way to keep them out of the end zone and make them kick field goals. I think if they do that, they have a very good chance to win. I think if they allow Miami to score touchdowns, it's just going to make it that much more difficult to win. Moving over now and flipping sides of the field to the Dolphins defense, which is kind of similar to the Colts in the regard that they're not great in points per game, 23rd out of 32 teams, giving up 27 points per game. So kind of a similar ballpark to us. Outside of the Bills, though, they haven't played the same caliber offenses that we've faced, I would say. So that's like a caveat there. But they're similar to us in that regard and the fact that they force a lot of turnovers. And they're almost like offensive players when they get the ball in their hands. The last couple of years under Flores, they've been like that. They get picks. They get fumbles. They scoop and score. Pick sixes to the house. They're electric with the ball in their hands on the other side of the ball. It almost reminds me of like an Oklahoma or a team in college where every time they create a turnover, it's going the other way. So they're dangerous like that. You go back to last week, that Jacoby Brissett stat line was awful. You would have thought that they haven't even taken the field yet. He was two for four with 13 yards and Miami led 14, nothing at the end of the first quarter. So there's obviously points coming from somewhere and it's because the defense is able to create turnovers and take it the other way as this defense is led by cornerback Xavier Howard. I think he was first team all pro last year. I don't remember what he did against us the last time we saw the Dolphins in 2019, the Brian Hoyer game. But if you go back to 2018 against Andrew Luck, Xavier Howard had two picks in that game against Andrew Luck. I remember one might have been like a Hail Mary type pass at the end of the half, but he had two interceptions in that game. You can't take those away from him. He's a playmaker. He has great hands for a cornerback. He makes things happen. It's tough to target him. One of the best cornerbacks in the National Football League, and I think he led the league in picks a season ago in 2020. So Xavier Howard leading this Miami Dolphins defense into week four. Yeah, Howard's a special player. Definitely somebody you got to know where he's at at all times and stay away from. If I'm Carson Wentz, I'm throwing at the other side because this guy, like you said, he's always in great position, great great footwork, great hands, very rarely gets beat. If there's a play there, he's going to make it. He's around the ball. So, yeah, he he's definitely the best player on this defense. Obviously, there's some contract stuff going on with him, and he's probably not going to be a Dolphin for long. But he's a Dolphin this week, and it's somebody that we have to account for. One other thing I wanted to mention about the defense that you were talking about. Yeah, they average, you know, they give up 27 points per game, but they make plays. They've got, they've only got five turnovers in the three games, but two of those turnovers have been pick sixes. One was last week in Oakland that got them back and you know got them that 14 to nothing lead. But the biggest one they had was week one at New England, which is not an easy place to play, and that won them the game. A, a pick six return I think 70 yards so this team if you turn the ball over they will they they turn defense to offense very quickly Carson cannot make any mistakes this week it's got to be a very very controlled offensive game plan just a couple other guys I wanted to mention on defense for them that to kind of keep an eye on defensive tackle Christian Wilkins guy I liked a lot coming out of Clemson 
two sacks, three tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. Linebacker Jerome Baker, who's questionable, I think, but I think he's going to play. Uh, he's all over the field, 25 tackles, three forced fumbles through three games. And then uh, safety Brandon Jones, 14 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, and three quarterback hits. So they'll bring the safety. thing about Flores is he'll, you know, he, he brings a lot of different looks. Colts have got to be prepared. He's gonna he's gonna do a lot of different thing, a lot of things, a lot of different blitz packages, a lot of different looks. Got to be prepared. They got to be in the film room and studying because the you know he's not gonna make it easy on them. They don't have a ton of talent on defense, but what they do is they play hard, and if there's plays to be made, they make them. So the Colts have to come out, play a disciplined game, not turn the ball over, and just you know when the plays are there, they got to make them because this defense is not gonna give you anything. It's like we said about Brian Flores' teams. They play hard for 60 minutes. They're going to make you beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. So the Colts absolutely have to come out this week, play their game, do what they do best, and you know not turn the ball over, take care of the football. They've been pretty good at that for the most part this year. they got to do it this week. If they do, I think the Colts will be in good position to win this game. Yeah, and – like you said, they don't have a lot of big names. Of course, they have a few, and Xavier Howard's a great player. They don't have a lot of big names on this defense, but they do have more big names or better names or higher caliber names on their defense this time around than when Flores first got there in 2019, and they came to Indianapolis. And yes, we had Brian Horak quarterback, but he outcoached us. They outplayed us on both sides of the ball, and that defense played very well in that game. So they're well-coached. They're always prepared. They play their asses off week in and week out, and they make plays. So I don't know why they don't have more household names, but they're a good unit. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, the way we were doing with the Colts defense because of who we were going up against, if you take away the Bills game where they gave up 35, Tua got hurt, it was kind of a garbage game, throw it away. Backup quarterback Jacoby's coming in early in the game and just kind of ruins the whole thing. And you're also going up against Josh Allen and a great offense in the Bills. If you just take week one with the Patriots and last week regulation with the 28 points they gave up to the Raiders, that's 22 points per game those two weeks. If we can match that, we don't have to be the Bills and score 35 points. We don't have to score 28 like the Raiders did last week in regulation. I think if we could hit that 22 mark or even say 21, three touchdowns, but we're so bad at getting in the end zone, we'd probably be more likely to kick three field goals, score two touchdowns or whatever that is to get the 22 or 23 points. But if we could hit that number, the average of week one and week three, we should be okay in this game. Cause I think our defense is going to hold Jacoby under 20 points. At least they should hold Jacoby under 20 points. So it's a big week to take points in this game, but we'll get into that in the keys to the game. And key number one, run the ball, take check downs, and running the ball is so important. Last week, it was working. 6.4 yards per carry. Jonathan Taylor was doing his thing. We seemingly abandoned the run, and we had Carson, two sprains, dropping back and throwing 37 times. That's not a formula to beat the Miami Dolphins. I think they're dead last, actually, in rush defense coming into this game. They're averaging uh, you know, close to five yards per carry for their opponent giving up on the ground. So it's a big week to run the football, get Jonathan Taylor going. His legs must be fresh because he just hasn't been used all that much the first three weeks of the season. So go to the ground game, pound the rock, tire them out, 
and make them play you a little bit different so you could open things up in the pass game. Key number one, run the damn ball and hit your checkdowns. No question. Just let me run these stats by you, Luke. 2021 Miami Dolphins run defense. Week one, Patriots, 30 carries, 125 yards, 4.2 yards per carry. Week two, Buffalo Bills, 30 carries, 143 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. Week three, Las Vegas Raiders, 35 carries, 140 yards, 4 yards per carry. Frank, run the damn ball. They should run the ball 30 times minimum in this game. This team cannot stop the run, and the Colts should absolutely lean on their two running backs, both of them, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Not one or the other, both of them. So, yes, key number one in this game is run the ball and keep running it until they stop it. Don't give up on it. This is a team that you can run the ball against. And if the run is not there, take the checkdowns. They didn't check the ball down much at all last week, and there were wide open running backs out of the backfield, most notably Jonathan Taylor, that Carson Wentz never even looked in that direction. This week, that's what they need to do. The game plan needs to be run the ball, check the ball down. Very simple, very easy to do. All you got to do is be disciplined, and the Colts just need to stick to it and stay patient. They have not done that in the first three games. They can win this game if they do those two things because basically a checkdown is extension of the running game, and the Colts have had checkdowns open in the first three games, and they should have them open in this game, but it all starts with running the ball and being committed to running the ball against a team that's proven it cannot stop the run. So for me, they've got to run this ball 30 times this game. If we, I'll tell you this, Luke, and I said this off the air. We throw the ball 40 times this week. I promise you one of those will be intercepted and run back for a touchdown and will probably cost us the football game. And I think the team in this game to score a defensive touchdown is the team that's going to win this game, unless both teams have one and they cancel each other out. Because this is a game where there's not going to be a lot of offense, there's not going to be a lot of touchdowns. So if you could get one on special teams or defense, that could very well be the difference in this matchup. Key number two, get Taylor and Hines involved and get both of them involved. Key number one is basically just, you know, commitment to the run, commitment to checking the ball down. Last week, the Titans beat us on a couple checkdowns where we had pressure on Ryan Tannehill and he was able to get a screen off and he was able to dump the ball off to Henry and it went for 20, 25 yards. So this key is not really about running or checking down. It's about keeping both guys involved at the same time. That is possible. I would make the argument that our two best playmakers are Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. The reason Marlon Mack can't get on the field is because of Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Any other team in the league, I think Mack is playing for and he's not requesting a trade. So you look at these two guys, why are they both not involved? Why week two is Naheem Hines getting two touches and why week three is Jonathan Taylor getting 10 carries? Give Taylor 25 carries, give Hines 12 plus touches. Get both guys involved, keep both guys involved. Key number two, plain and simple, Get your best 
playmakers the ball and let them make plays. We're sick and tired of the narrative. The Colts don't have playmakers. They have playmakers, but you got to take your toys out of the toy box and you got to play with them. You got to get them the ball. You got to get them the ball in space and you got to get them the ball a lot of times and they will make big things happen. Key number two, get Taylor and Hines the ball at the same time. Get both guys the ball in week four. Yeah, I probably should have been more specific about this key. I want them both involved, but I also want them both on the field at the same time. I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out why we don't put our best 11 players on the field at the same time. It's like he can't have Taylor in the game. I know they play the same position, but Hines is a Darren Sproles guy. You can play him out wide by the boundary. You can play him in the slot. You can play him out of the backfield. You can have them both in the backfield. You can do so many different things. There's not a box that you have to stay within. You can get with that. You can get outside the box and think outside the box. I wish Frank would understand that. It makes it much more difficult for a defense if you've got Pittman on the field, you've got Doyle on the field, you've got Hines on the field, you have Campbell on the field, and you have Taylor on the field. You got all those guys on the field. They have to account for all of them. But he, for some reason, thinks you have to. It's got to be either or. You either have to have Taylor on the field, or if Taylor's not on the field, you have to have Hines on the field. I'm an and guy. Yep. You can have Taylor and Hines on the field, Agreed. and in this game, that's the key to the game to me. Having those both both of those guys involved in the offense from start to finish on the field as much as possible. Forget the injuries. I know guys are going to say, "Well, you you're, you're taking a risk if you put them out there for more snaps." At this point, what do we have to lose? We're zero and three. We need to get these guys involved and try to win some friggin' games. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of pissing games away because we can't score in the red zone. If you have Taylor and Hines on the field inside the ten yard line, I promise you, your odds for scoring go up a ton. So in this game, I want to see not only Taylor get carries, not only Hines get carries, but I want to see him catch it out of the backfield. I want to see both of them catch it out of the backfield. And damn it, I want to see him on the field at the same time. Yep. When you go to a little kid's birthday party and you ask them cake or ice cream, what's the answer? Both. Both. Give me both of them at the same damn time. There's no reason not to. And let me ask you another question, Jason, or a series of questions. Are you allowed to line up two running backs in the backfield at the same time in the NFL? Yes. Are you allowed to, or is Hines capable of lining up in the slot? Absolutely. Is Hines Played capable? Wide in college, Luke came to <laughs> NC State as a wide receiver. Is he capable of lining up outside the numbers, as most running backs aren't capable of? Absolutely. Once again, played wide receiver in high school, came to NC State as a wide receiver, caught the ball at NC State as a wide receiver. Hmm. It seems as if. There's really no reason not to have both guys on the field at the same time. So that's a big key. Key number two, it's an extension of key number one because those two guys have to be your top two guys. you got to get your best players the ball and let them make plays. And key number three, this is going to be one until it stops being an issue. Score touchdowns in goal-to-go situations. And Jason, I'm going to add to that, take points we like rake's aggression but you have to have a feel for the game maybe this is a high scoring game and we're wrong about what we anticipate happening defensively against jacoby but i would assume going into this game and of course this is where feel comes into play because maybe it feels differently and it is different than this but as far as a key to the game i would anticipate this being a lower scoring game 
I think back to the six nothing game in 2000. I don't think it's going to be that low scoring, but I think back to the six nothing game in 2018 against the Jacksonville Jaguars and Reich being uber aggressive on fourth down and us losing the game six nothing. What won that game? Field goals won that game. Now that's usually not the case against the Rams, against the Seahawks, against the Titans. That's not going to be the case. In this game, kicking field goals could be the difference and you just have to know what the identity of this game is. You have to identify the identity of this game and in certain situations, in certain fourth and ones, because we've been so bad on fourth down in those short situations this year, you got to know when to take the points. So we like Reich's aggression most of the time, but it has to make sense in this game. It might not make sense to go for it. That's all about the feel. So Reich has to have the feel, but forgetting about that for a second, first and goal, second and goal, third and goal. Let's put some points on the board. Let's score seven. Let's complete drives. Let's finish drives, especially when the field shrinks in goal to go situations. Key number three, Score touchdowns in the red zone, touchdowns in goal-to-go situations, and take points when they're there. Don't be stupidly aggressive in situations where field goals could win you a game. That is a great point, and I think it needs to be pointed out that there is a chance. Glowinski, I think, is going to be questionable, but there is a chance that our offensive line this week, from left to right, could be Fisher, Reed, Kelly, Fries, and or Penter, and Julian Davenport. So when it's fourth and three from the Miami 20, take the points. This offensive line, if that is the the offensive line that we play with, I think we can win running the ball. All those guys are pretty good run blockers. So I think we can win running the ball. But again, you have to understand your personnel. You don't have your frontline guys out there. So when the points are there to be had, Take them. Do not try to be the smartest guy in the room. Just take the points. We need points to win the game. And so, yes, I'm, I'm the emphasis on scoring touchdowns and and goal situations is going to be on my key to the game list until they figure out how to score in the red zone. You know, use Taylor and Hines at the same time. We talked about it. I'm not going to beat it to death anymore. Needs to happen. But As an overall thought in this game, I do believe it's going to be a low-scoring game. So when the points are there, don't try to be uber-aggressive with this offensive line. Take the points. Twenty, It's at the 20-yard line, fourth and three or fourth and two. Take the points. Okay, you get inside the the, the 10-yard line or whatever, find a way to get in the end zone. Do some different things. Don't just do the phone booth thing again this week. It's the definition of insanity. We keep doing it. I want to see him do some different things in the red zone, in the green zone. He hasn't done it, and he has to do it this week. If we are to win this game, we've got to score some touchdowns. I do think it's going to be a low-scoring game, so points will be at a premium. But they have got to solve this red zone issue at some point, and it needs to start this week. Absolutely, and I really believe if we do these three things, like we always say, oh, if we do this, this, and this, I really am confident in these three keys offensively because I think this is addressing like big problems with this offense and things where it's like if we just did this last week, we probably could have beat the Titans. If we were committed to the run, if we got Hines and Taylor the ball more and had them on the field at the same time, I feel like we could have won that game. Even if you go back to week two, 
the Rams are insanely talented. Hines had two touches in that game. If you got him 12, 15 touches, it's a whole totally different game. So I'm really confident in these keys. I think it's almost like first one to 21 could win this game. Like you're playing 21 in the backyard basketball, but in football terms, it's almost like if you're playing a game to a set score, that's kind of what this feels like to me. Cause I think it's going to be really low scoring. So I'm very confident in these keys to the game offensively. I think if we could do these three things, I really do believe we'll win the game. And these are like super specific to this Colts team. It's not generic. Don't turn the ball over score touchdowns. It's like, these are things that have really been bothering us. And if they're accomplished this week, because of who we're going against offensively with Jacoby, we hold them under 17. You do these three things. You should put at least 20 points on the board. So very confident in these three keys to the game. And Jason, have you ever played the card game Uno in a one-on-one setting? Absolutely. Do you know when they hit you with the reverse back to themselves? Reverse, reverse, block, reverse, reverse. Yep. That is Jason's prediction for today, Jason. Give him your prediction. In a shocking development, I am picking our Indianapolis Colts to <gasps> win by a final score of 17 to 16 and get their first one of the season in a reverse lock. When did Jason's <laughs> jinx begin as we Turn back the page into ancient history on the For the Culture podcast. Jason's jinx began when Jacoby was the starting quarterback for the Colts, although he missed this game. The season Jacoby was our starter, when we played the Miami Dolphins, they were 0-7, I want to say, at the time. He took the Colts with Brian Hoyer, and he realized he was jinxed. Then, after that, he took the Colts to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. The Colts lost that game, and the Jaguars have lost 18 consecutive games since. But the jinx all started against Brian Flores' Miami Dolphins. So, if there was ever a time to end the curse, you think 2004, the curse of the Bambino, the Yankees, the Red Sox coming back from 3-zip, it had to happen against the Yankees. The Red Sox couldn't have broken the curse against any other team but the New York Yankees because of Babe Ruth. Jason can't break this curse against anybody but the Miami Dolphins. So here it is, taking your Indianapolis Colts against the Miami Dolphins. I will also take the Colts because I can't pick Jacoby to win a game. So I just have to take us to beat Jacoby Brissett in this matchup. I think that we have the better roster. I think we have the better quarterback. Even with our injuries, I think we're the better team. I think they're the more well-coached team. I think Flores is a better coach than Frank Reich. But I think Reich will come out a little bit more humbled after last week. I hope that he learned a few lessons. Now, he's super, super, super stubborn. And I could easily see him coming out and throwing 45 times. And then I probably would say we go on to lose this game. But hoping optimistically that Reich has learned his lesson and being confident that the defense could come out pissed off and hold them to 14 or less. I'm going to take the Colts in this game. I'm going to say 20 to 16, which would be one touchdown, three field goals against the Colts. If they move the ball, we'll hold them to field goals. 2016 Colts over the Dolphins. Our first win of the season, finally getting in the W column, finally getting in that win column. A little bit late, 
to the party in week four, but you got to get out of the month of September, even though this game might be an October game, right? Because what are we now? It's already. Yeah, it's October, buddy. Ah, so we go September without a win, but starting off October the right way, I'll pick Colts. So it's our first time since week one of 2020, both of us picking the Colts. Yeah, I just want to make one point, and I don't mean to be down or anything like that, be a downer. I'm picking the Colts to win. I believe they're going to win. But if Frank, I'm going to tell you this, if we throw the ball 40 times and run it 16, we're not winning. I'm just, it's, we're not winning this game. It's not going to happen. We've got to, it's got to be, if we're going to, if there's, let's see, if there's 55 plays, it's got to be a close split. It cannot be 40 and 16. So I'm just going to point this out because I know people go back and listen to these sometimes. If we throw it 40 times with two sprains, we're not winning this game. If we only run it 16 times, we're not winning this game. The key to winning this game is taking the pressure off the guy with two bum ankles and putting it on our offensive line and our running backs. That's the key to the game. So to me, I guess my final thought on this game is put it on the guy that is the most – our, who's who's the best player on our offense right now? It's it's Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Put it on those two guys. Let them win the game for you. If you do that, if you give them touches, if you give Jonathan 25 total and you give Naheem 15 total, they win this game. Yep. That's the In my opinion, that's the bottom line. If he doesn't do that, it's going to be hard to win the game. Yep. If Wentz were to throw 45 passes in this game, I would not hesitate to take a prop bet because the odds would be insane that he throws more touchdowns for the Dolphins than the Colts. Oh yeah, and you'd probably Dolphins- get you'd probably get like plus a thousand odds on that, and I would take it because there's a very good chance. Like last week, he threw 37 passes. He didn't throw a touchdown, right? No, because we only had one touchdown. And it was the run, the Heinz run. Yep. Yep. And, and you're going up against the better pass defense this week. And the Dolphins have had a pick six in two out of three games. So yep. the more you throw, the more like you make that to happen. No question, especially if you're throwing downfield. We want dump-offs to the backs and just get them the ball in space. Plus, we want Wentz to get rid of the ball as quick as possible because the guy can't run. He's on two bad ankles. So you want to make his job and his life as easy as freaking possible. You don't want him running around because he can't. He can't run around. So... That's the blueprint, Jason. It's all laid out. It's all there in front of them. If they just follow it, I see we a path. Luke, we try every week, man. We I try every week. I see a path to victory. Coach Jason, I see a path to victory. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a path to victory the last two weeks, and nobody listens. <laughs> you know, you know that meme where the guy, it's like that really skinny guy, and. He's like, I am the whatever now. I am the captain now. And he's doing like the eye thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. From the Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that from Wilson? Oh, uh, no, it's from, uh, it's the one about the, the pirates that take over the ship. Yeah, that's what I feel when like. he's uh, captain, captain something, Captain something. I forget, Captain Phillips or something like that. Yeah, I just want to like look Frank in the eye and be like, I am the coach now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm running out of patience with him. Could you imagine if Ballard, like midseason, fired Frank, walked down to the sideline, took the headset, and started coaching? Because Ballard does have a coaching background. Do you want to hear a funny story before we sign off? <laughs> I think in I know. This. <laughs> the, in 1980, the Baltimore Colts were playing the Philadelphia Eagles. It was the fourth quarter, 
The score was 34-0 Philly. The Colts had not moved the ball all day. Robert Ursay, Jim Ursay's father, who is a known <laughs> alcoholic, was hammered. He went down on the sideline, took the headset from the coach at the time, Mike McCormick, and called the plays. And crazily enough, they went down and scored a touchdown. If you don't look it up on Google, there's a story from the Baltimore Sun back from 1980. That's when the Colts were a real train wreck, a constant Titanic, just every year a ship sinking. This is just one year. I think we're going to be all right. We'll be able to write the ship. But that is a true story. The owner got hammered, went down on the field, called the plays. They hadn't scored all game, and he <laughs> drove down the field, and they scored a touchdown. True story. Okay. Key number four, Jason. Key number four offensively. Frank Reich is the play caller from our goal line to their 20-yard line. Once we get to the red zone, Jim Ursay then takes the headset or Jimmy Walker Black Ursay takes the headset, he just gets ossified, and he calls plays in the red zone. You know, I'm not against it. I'm it's really got to be better. Could it. you have worse results? If you were to do that, if you were to get him hammered and just ask Madden, I'm pretty sure we would probably have around the same amount of red zone touchdowns as we have right now. I'm not. Listen, I'm not against it, man. We're I, three I mean, for eight listen. in goal-to-go situations. How much worse could Ursay be than three for eight? That's sub fifty percent. That's like forty percent in the red in goal-to-go situations. And honestly, I would not even be surprised. I know he's never going to do it. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but I would not be surprised if he's thinking that. Like, I could do better than this. This is yeah. ridiculous. I am the coach now, Frank. I am the coach. <laughs> I'm the owner coach now. <laughs> I'm the owner coach. <laughs> and then Reich would probably oh, put man. on a helmet like the end of the Adam Sandler oh, a remake of whatever that what movie was that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking. <laughs> throwing on hilarious. the he- throwing on the helmet. Could you imagine Reich? I've had enough quarterbacks in Indianapolis. I'm the quarterback now. Getting out oh, there, man. dude. You know, you know this. We we have officially run out of time on this show. We've officially come to the end when we're we're starting to do our stand up routines. But <laughs> I think the football gods or the podcast gods are enjoying it because usually they cut you off and your mic sounds like you're talking through a soup can like a billion miles away from me, and the audio held up the whole time. But you're right. I think that our little shtick is up. Big game. I get like we're almost like I feel like we're almost in that mode where we're not really thinking and nor should we about play- playoffs. No. You talk about playoffs because we haven't won a, game, won a game and I just want to yeah. win a game too. Exactly. But I feel like to wrap this up, we're almost viewing this as comedy hour. This is a huge game because it is only week four. So although you're owing three. Is it possible to climb back into things? Of course. I mean, the Titans, and I don't want to see this happen for the sake of Derrick Henry, who's a great player and a great person, but the Tennessee Titans, let's be honest, they are a Derrick Henry injury away from being an 8-9 and nine team max this year. So if you stay competitive and you go out and you beat them head-to-head next time, and you could win a couple of these games, like you beat the Cardinals, who they lost to. You could make that game up. So it's possible to make up games. It's early in the season. Realistically, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but this is a huge game. Dare I say a must-win game? I feel like we're on a low because last week was a must-win game that we lost, but it's not a must-win game on Christmas Day. It's a must-win game in the month of September. 
September. So we're going into the first week of October. This is a must-win game. You can't fold 0-4 because then the season's actually over-over. It still has a heartbeat right now. So win this game. Go out. Beat Jacoby. Do what you're supposed to do. Get in the win column. Maybe Tennessee loses. You pick up a game. So let's just go out. Let's do our thing. Consider this a must-win game. Play like your back's against the wall. Play like the season is on the line because it is. So go out. Do your job. Win this game. Jason predicted you to do so. And the curse hey, will Luke, be broken. One, one other thing I wanted to mention, you were talking about it's not over and why this game is really important. I went through and looked up this looked up the record or excuse me. I went through and looked up the schedules for both in Indianapolis and Tennessee. There is a five game span where I see there is an opening for us to make a run. Now that five game span starts after Baltimore. We play Houston at San Fran, Tennessee, New York at home, Jacksonville at home. They play Buffalo, Kansas City, at Indianapolis, at L.A. Rams, New Orleans Saints. That's where a run could be made. But if we don't win this week, it doesn't matter. We're going to be too far behind. Yep. We're going to be 0-4. They're going to be 3-1. and They're going to New York to play the Jets. Then they have Jacksonville. But after that, they have a five-game span where they very easily could go 1-4 and or 0-5. So it's not over completely for us in the division, but it is if we don't win this week. Yep. And let me just correct myself. We can't pick up a game on the Titans this week. Because, like you said, they have a bye. They play the New York Jets. They're not losing that game. No, absolutely not. And they're not. They're not losing next week either. No, the Jags are the Jags are worse than the Jets. I think so. Yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, no, those are the two worst teams in football, at least in the AFC. So yeah, they're not going to lose either of those games. We'll probably lose one to the Jaguars, and that'll be the difference again. Because, God forbid, Frank Reich goes to Jacksonville and wins a game. But luckily, Luke, luckily for us, it's the last game of the year. So either way, it's probably not going to matter. True. <laughs> That's true. Although it could, and it'll be even more frustrating. And Urban Meyer is probably already going to be gone by that point. But yeah, dude. And the Jaguars year? are on tonight. So depending on when we upload this, oh, it's already eight thirty. So obviously, this is getting up after that game. So wrapping up, that's my man Jason Spears. I'm your host Luke Diamond. A double Colt prediction. Jason breaking the curse. It's a possibility. Open your DraftKings account. Put money on it because Jason's going to break the curse this weekend. I am calling it to get the Miami Dolphins. So where a curse starts, a curse ends. We will be back Sunday night. Game recap. I'm not coaching Sunday night. So that means we should probably get the recap up around the time Sunday night football begins. So that'll be fun. So guys, keep it locked. Game recap right here on the For the Culture Podcast.